You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring. Podcast with me, Rob Brown. On behalf of Accounting Influencers, we have a brand of podcasts going out there to the professional services community. And occasionally we bring in experts to this show who have wider perspective on a number of industries on topics such as culture and talent and engagement. I'm thrilled to have me today one of the world leaders on the topic of culture and employee engagement, Richard Roberts. Good day, sir. Good day. How are you doing? Richard, great to have you on the show. For people that haven't come across you and in our community, probably not many, tell us what you do. What I do, gosh, that's a great opening question. So I specialize in employee employment and employment culture. I go into organizations, I have a look-see, I do an audit, and then I make recommendations based on my experience in terms of how to improve things, how to make things better, all from the perspective of how do you get high-performing teams? How do you get teams that are motivated, that are engaged, um, that are going to basically go the extra mile. What qualifies you to talk on this subject? You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to talk about culture and employee engagement. There's <laughs> a journey, isn't there? It's been my dream. No. <laughs> basically, over 35 years of working in HR, though I don't like the word HR, I spent probably where I learn a lot of my kind of influence on culture would be at Virgin where I spent 10 years, went from a startup at Virgin Mobile through to when it became Virgin Media. So, and then I've been working as a freelancer in various different organizations. And also more recently, part of a startup in a renewable energy company where we went from zero, I was employee number three, from zero up to about 250 people in the space of five years. Looking at that culture shift, from when there's just three of you sitting around a table to a much bigger team and much bigger sophistication in the way the company works. So, yeah. And I've seen that in churches. Richard, I'm a committed Christian, and you often see as churches grow that a church of 10, 15, 20, even 50 people is very different to a church of 150 people. And all churches want to grow and spread the good news, but they often underestimate the changes needed in infrastructure and culture and rules and procedures and everything else. So, before we talk about what best practice looks like, give us some warning signs of companies that get culture wrong. What does that look like? I think people think it's easy. I think people think that it's just something that will happen without any focus, without any thought. I think when a company is very focused on the numbers, on the commercial side of the business, with little regard for the people, I've been into organisations like that. And it's just very clear when you just look at the agenda for the weekly management meeting and there's no people stuff on it, already you're starting to think, what's, what is the focus? I think as well, I've worked with some really great CEOs who just get it, who just understand it. You know, at my last company, the Renewable Energy Company, I was recruited as employee number three to do the culture, which just says to me that 
was a really important aspect for the company to get that bit right. You would expect that, though, at a sustainable energy provider, you're referring to Pure Planet there, I guess. If they are woke enough and sensitive enough to sustainability, then they'll be sensitive enough to people and mental well-being and everything else. When we look at very metric-driven firms, let's take accountancy or law or places like that, where it is all about the numbers and about the result and about chargeable hours and things like that. It's very much about looking after the client, getting the product right. It's less about, are our staff happy and fulfilled and are they engaged? So do different sectors, industries handle culture in different ways from what you've seen? They do, I think. That's a good example you've given. However, it's my belief is that if people are enjoying coming to work, if they're enjoying their roles, if they're feeling they're being developed, then they're going to be more productive. They're going to be more motivated. And that's that's the secret ingredient, really, to high-performing teams. And then that, of course, will impact the bottom line. And I always remember at Virgin, there's the Richard Branson quote, which is, if you look after the customers, sorry, if you look after the employees, they'll look after the customers and they'll look after the profit. So it's just, yeah, I think it's true throughout all industries. Obviously, it's different depending upon which profession it is. But those principles, I think, are the same. Let's talk about terms. If I were to ask 100 people what employee engagement is, I'd probably get 101 different answers. So I'm going to give you my definition, the Rob Brown definition. And then as the expert in this, you can put me straight. But simply for me, employee engagement is the degree to which your staff are bought into your vision as an organization how am i doing with that yeah yeah i think you're well on the way for me it's about buying into the vision the purpose the goals and the other thing i'd add to that is feeling a part of a team feeling that feeling that sense of belonging to be honest employee engagement i don't like that that term what's a better term rich things have moved on a little bit now and it's all about how do you get yeah i don't want to put a label to it it's all about how do you get a culture that is positive, has high-performing teams with motivated people, all who are working towards a common goal, a common purpose. So my, my issue with employee engagement, it, it sounds like it's a little bit of a fad expression. It also sounds like if you do something in a company, then people will be engaged, or if you don't do something, they'll be disengaged. And I don't think it's simple as that. It's very complex. But yeah, for me, it's all around that high-performing, motivated, productive teams, which goes into business success for me. Many leaders, managers worth their salt listening would appreciate that productivity and a team that's bought into what you're doing is a desirable thing. When you look at the factors that make up that, I agree with you. A lot of them just set the values of the firm, for instance, stick them on the website and hope that everyone adheres to them and they have a recognized HR person and if there's any problems and fallout, it would go to them. But there are, I'm sure, certain ingredients in the recipe that need to be in place for there to be good engagement and a good culture. So talk us through some of those. One size doesn't fit all, that's for sure. However, I, from my experience, I worked it out the other day, I've probably been involved with over 30 companies in one way or another, be it permanent or be it as a consultant. And yeah, some of them have been a really engaged team, some haven't. I think there's three kind of common threads for me, three must-haves, if you like. The first one is this kind of being a part of a team, 
feeling that you're you have this sense of belonging that that you're connected and i think this is one thing that has really suffered when people have started to work from home more and hybrid working which we can touch upon later so being a part of a team that that is something i really enjoyed at pure planet i really felt that i was valued that i was respected that i had a voice that people listened to what i was saying the second component is very closely related to that. So it's being part of a team, but having a common purpose. And it's the why, if you like. So why would I put in extra effort? Why would I turn up to work every day? And I think this has become far more important for people since COVID. I think people are looking for more meaning in their the roles that they perform. They're looking for more meaning in the companies that they work for. Now, not every company can have a social purpose or something that's bigger in the world, if you like, but just having that common goal and coming together to work towards it, I think is a real key factor. And then the last thing that I think underpins it all is just feeling trusted and feeling like you can be yourself. And I think this is now having much more importance within cultures Paul Zach has just produced a load of great research on this, which clearly demonstrate that if you have a high trust culture, then you have greater productivity, you have greater motivation and all the other spin-offs, less absence, more creativity, all those key things. But likewise, if you're in a not a trusted culture, and I have worked in those scenarios, then motivation dips there was a lovely expression last year that went around, which I'm not sure is going around now, is that people are quietly quitting, which is basically they're just doing the very minimum. And I see that in organisations where there there is little trust. And I think that has been completely exaggerated by hybrid working because there are some companies who have embraced working from home and have embraced the hybrid model, if you like, and whether you're in the office or not in the office, there's complete trust that you're doing a good job and you're working hard and working hours come a bit you know, mixed up and that's all fine. I've seen some companies where they've really been concerned about people working from home and I've tried to mandate people coming back into the office. I went to a talk last week about this and the presenter was talking about those companies that are trying to get people back in the office five days a week are doing that because leaders don't trust their people and it's much easier. And I think that has a huge knock-on effect on your psychology and on your ways of working. Uh, if you don't feel trusted and you're always trying to defend what you do, you're always trying to, I've been in management meetings, which I'm sure you have, where you basically go around the table and you justify what you've been doing for the last week. <laughs> and you just go, everybody has their five minutes of fame, so to speak, of this week I've done this and this because you're trying to defend <laughs> your corner. What leaders sometimes don't see too in getting trying to get people back to work is that their commute is a lot less because they can afford to live much closer to the office. <laughs> yes. And their corner offices has a much much better view than the cubicles they put the rest of the staff in so there's more incentive for them to be in the office isn't there not necessarily the staff no absolutely absolutely so yeah so I think those three things would underpin a great culture so that sense of belonging purpose and trust that's all well and good saying those three words of course the really difficult bit is how do you execute that 
And for me, that's a whole series of things on a very practical basis. And it's the messages that you send. It's the ways you work. It's how a decision's made. It's what happens in an organization, for example, when somebody makes a mistake. I remember at Pure Planet, somebody worked in our pricing area and they got the the decimal point the wrong way around on a new pricing document. And that, I think, cost the organization. We spotted it about 24 hours later, but it did cost the company quite a lot of money. Now, the question there is, well, what did we do with that individual who made that mistake? Now, interestingly, in Pure Planet, that person was so mortified that they'd made the mistake that (laughs) we didn't need to do anything. And we knew that they would never, ever do anything like that again. And that was the principle, isn't it? If you make a mistake, then you have to learn from it. I know some companies that that person wouldn't be working for their company anymore. But that's a sign of a good culture, isn't it, Richard? When you make a mistake, you feel bad about it because you care enough. You care that you've let people down. You care that you've let your team members down and you've made a genuine mistake. If there was no remorse there, then you'd have to put some sanctions in place and maybe even fire them. It's getting people to care enough. That's what is the sign of a good culture. So when I do work with accounting firms and others to help build their employer brand by interviewing their people to say, why do you love working where you work? I love the culture. Tell me about the culture. Now, they can't necessarily define culture. It's some vague concept of the environment they work in, the soup, if you like, that that forms the environment. How would you define culture? I would define culture as, yeah, the ways of working, if you like, or your day-to-day experience. When you do a day's work and you finish, how do you feel about that? The other way of looking at it is on a Sunday evening, are you sitting there thinking, oh my God, God, Monday's going, (laughs) yeah. Or are you thinking, yeah, great, yeah. I I remember at Pure Planet, I didn't think of it as work. I didn't think it as a job. I absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed the atmosphere, the culture, if you like, the day-to-day interactions. Now, of course. Hierarchies and structures. Richard, a lot of the signals in a professional service firm, for instance, a law firm or an accounting firm is we serve to make money for our partners, our equity partners, their business models, their buyouts, that kind of structure. You might equate that to making money for the shareholders, but making more money for the firm is not a vision that people lower down would buy into necessarily. So when you talk about a purpose or a goal or a vision for an organization, What kind of words make that something that people would buy into beyond just making money? For me, I get this question a lot about, it's all well and good you talking about purpose, Rich, but we do X, Y, Z, and it's very difficult to have a meaningful, motivational purpose. For me, it's flipping it a little bit to try and understand what motivates people. What do people want to get out of a role or a job? Is it about the social connection? Is it what the company does on a charitable level, if you like? Is it about, I'm doing some work for a broadband company and they talk a lot about connecting people. They do a lot of work in the local community and it's not a marketing thing. It's a genuine desire to, for example, working with old people to help them with the internet and how that all works. So I think every company just need to think really carefully about why do we exist Now, making money is the output. I don't think that's particularly the purpose or the why. And in in accountancy, I have an accountant who does my books for my self-employment. For me, that makes my life incredibly much better 
because I don't have to do it. So there's a kind of a service element to it. So it's just thinking through. It doesn't have to be our purpose is to save the world <laughs> because not everybody can do that. But it's just thinking through what will resonate with people, what will motivate people. And it might purely be things around we will develop your career or it might simply be we are going to work as a team to solve this issue or this problem. All of those, I think, are better than just saying we're here to make money. It's tough. It's tough, I know, to come up with a purpose. I get that. And in accounting, it's much like banking and even law firms. A bank is a bank. So accounting firms, you don't necessarily hire your accountant for their why, for their purpose. You hire them because they're damn good at doing your tax returns. Exactly. So as a client, you perhaps don't care. But as an employee of that accounting firm, you would want something more than a making money proposition. And when it comes to, say, people wanting to work for that bank or that law firm or accounting firm, you're right to touch on those CSR aspects, corporate social responsibility or ESG, environmental social governance. Those kind of think, what are we doing to serve the community? What are we doing to make a difference in the lives of our clients? That speaks more to a a story that people could buy into. Oh, absolutely. And I, the number of companies who are now applying for B Corp, for example, I've done some work with a local company here, a bank, who have just got B Corp. Explain to our audience what B Corp is, Richard, for those. So B Corp is basically an accreditation that ESG or your CSR is, you're in the top 10% of companies who are executing that, if you like. So it, it, it's, you have to go through, so it measures you on how well you do on each of the key criteria area for CSR, for sustainability, for all of that. And every year you're assessed. So it's not that you just get the badge and great, move on. So every year you have to keep improving and keep meeting the standard, if you like. So it's now an accepted, if you're accredited B Corps, then you know that ethically and morally they're doing the right thing. And of course, I think that has a knock-on effect as well. I read some stats that Candidates in recruitment now are 50% want to know what, what the social purpose is, if you like, for want of a better word, is of the company when they're applying. So candidates are now looking much more closely at companies for what they're doing on this agenda. And of course, I've worked in companies that have got a very strong CSR angle to it. And it does, it does make you feel good about working for that company. And... I think that's all part of the culture. And as you said before, if you're working for something like Pure Planet, which was sustainable, it comes with the territory. But for other companies, I've seen CSR being treated on a very basic level. So that's your, you put a committee together, you do a sponsored bike ride and you bake a cake, which I'm not knocking all that because that's all fine but that's just very basic stuff and there's much more i think that can be do virgin were brilliant at this they had a company its own called virgin unite and the aim of that was to work with all the different virgin companies to help them give back into the community and a lot of that was around not about raising money it was more about sharing your expertise with local charities, sharing your expertise with local groups. I remember because we were a mobile phone company and it was fairly new at the time, mobile phones, 
again, we got in a lot of people from the local community and helped them with how to turn it on and how to use it and all that kind of stuff. It's not just about the social side, though, Rich. I'm thinking there are some people listening to this thinking, I don't really care what a firm does on the social side. I want to know if I'm going to work for this firm that I'm going to be looked after and I'm going to be developed and I'm going to be given interesting work and I'm going to have a good boss over me that will mentor me and coach me. Forget social action and forget external stuff like that. I want a good career move. That's legitimate, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think that those things you've mentioned there would be in my top 10 of things that you need to get right. I think the most important of all of those is, and I often say, if I only could do one thing in an organization, is would I would work with the people managers, those people who, you know, lead or manage people on a day-to-day basis because they have such an influence on people and I look back on my career when I've been the most motivated or the most demotivated certainly on the demotivated bit I could track it back very clearly to the boss I had and the way I was managed be it if I was micromanaged or I felt I wasn't trusted or I was basically told what to do I hear you hear all these classic stories of it does boil down to management style. Likewise, the bosses I've had where I've been the most engaged and motivated have been brilliant people managers, brilliant leaders that have let me go. I know they've regularly touched base with me. In effect, they've been coaches, not managers. So I think that area, regardless of what industry you are, what profession it is, absolutely key. I think the other thing that happens in organizations is that managers get promoted into positions of leading a team because they're technically good at what they do. Or they've been there the longest. (laughs) Or they've been there the longest. And I remember doing a lot of work for an IT company and we had, we didn't call them team leaders, but they managed developers and they managed programmers and all that kind of thing. And they openly said to me, we don't want to manage people because <laughs> we don't people are not as consistent as <laughs> a line of code and is it the case richard too that people are more likely to leave a bad boss than a bad job you can mitigate a bad job with a good boss oh i've been there i've left companies because of bad bosses it is the classic quote that people join companies but leave managers because i think they have such an important inf- if you just think about your day-to-day life at work who has the most influence over that it's going to be your manager and that speaks to retention doesn't it you want to hold on to your good people as well as grow your head count as you grow in your company yeah absolutely so so focusing on the management population and getting them first thing to do is define what good looks like and then support guide help and i think that's a key role that hr teams have to, to and for me the best style of management is to be a coach So I do a lot of work in developing managers to be brilliant coaches, basically. And that's a soft skill, isn't it? That's not something that's afforded you by an accounting or legal qualification or some accreditation or degree. You've got to you've got to develop those skills and be trained. Yeah, absolutely. And be coached in it as well. How has the hybrid thing made culture more difficult to shape because when your people are not in the office, you're not walking the corridors, you're not picking up litter and setting an example of what working here should look like yeah i think it's had a massive impact because as you said it it is more difficult to see people more difficult to be with them to experience what they're experiencing the flip of it as well i read some stats that pre-covid 
about 10% of people worked regularly from home. Now it's 25, 30% are working in this high, more hybrid model. And I think if you think about the, your sense of belonging, being a part of a team, then that being virtual has had a real impact on that, I think, because suddenly you're not seeing people as regularly on a face-to-face basis. You're not feeling as connected. I think as well what happens with virtual working is the people on a regular basis is somebody described it as the work relationships have been thinned because diluted diluted that's a much better word i'll remember that rob thank you (laughs) it's been diluted because on a given day you might come in contact with 10 15 people it might be a one-to-one or it might be more of a team if you're in the office, you'll come across, depending on how many people are in the office, triple that. <laughs> you remember at Pure Planet, there was a hundred of us in an open plan. You would probably see and talk to everybody during the day. It might just be a hello and how are you? And also, I think virtually things have got to be far more organized. When you're in an office, you can just wander over to somebody and go, oh, I've had this idea or what about this or how are things going? I used to sit next to my team and it was like a constant flow of conversation. Now, when you work virtually, you've got to organise, right, I'm going to call you at this time. We're going to talk about this. It's your one-to-one. And that takes the spontaneity and the innovation sometimes out of conversations. I think it's got to be looked at in a very different way about what can you do to replicate that kind of office culture. I did some work for a little company local to me. They all work in capital cities of Europe. So there's one person in every capital city. And I thought, gosh, they're going to feel really isolated they're going to feel quite lonely but actually it was complete opposite and the reason was because the ceo was rather than walking around the office they were zooming around the office so to speak so she spent a lot of time making sure that people felt connected no they had a very good slack system which worked really well in just chatting and keeping things up she made sure there were regular meetings every week which of course were virtual every two or three months they had a get together face to face in a one of the capital cities of europe which was always very clever because everybody wanted to go because it was in a capital city in europe (laughs) but it was very well thought through very well executed And I came away thinking, wow, they've got a real sense of connection and they don't even meet each other on a weekly, let alone daily basis, face to face. So it can be done. It just has to be properly thought through. Of course, the other aspect of that is how do you get people to come together on a face to face on a regular basis? So it's looking at why should I go into the office? What's the incentive for me for doing that? And of course, the function of the office, of course, has changed. It's no longer to go in and do your day-to-day work. It's to go in and, and be connected, isn't it? And to work together as a group. So, I mean, on lots of different levels. I know lots of companies redesign their office. So you don't have banks of desks. There's much more open plan and much more areas to collaborate and come together. Google have done this really clever thing where they have these, what they call fireplaces, which they have TVs uh, in a kind of semi-circle, if you like. And people can sit there in the office and people can be on the TV screens if they're not in the office to try and replicate the feeling of being in a meeting room through to also the tech needs to be great your tech needs to be really good to just to make sure that 
how many times have we been on calls and the broadband goes down or whatever it is, or there's not a good connection, or uh, I know there's a new expression in the, the world of work of you're on mute, <laughs> which, I, <laughs> which is human error, I know. <laughs> but so for me, it's different, but you can still replicate it and you just have to think through. Of course, it's different for different organizations and depending upon what they do. What you can't have is people spending an hour and a half commuting to the office, sitting there doing a day long emails and virtual calls and then going home because <laughs> it's like, oh, they won't go in again. This has been terrific. Just in closing, would you summarize for us what you feel? And I'm speaking to the leaders and managers and people out there in this professional world. What message would you give to them in closing to say, look, culture's got to be intentional. Employee engagement doesn't happen by accident. There are simple things that you could do that if you don't, probably won't happen. And in today's crazy virtual or hybrid world, you've got to get these. What would you say to them? I would say, look, take it seriously. I would say there's no magic formula. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of thought. Involve everybody in that because they are the culture. And that ask you people what they think, I think, is something which is underestimated. And work on yourself as well, perhaps get some coaching skills, get some people development skills for yourself. I suppose my key message is don't take it for granted. Just focus. Yeah, you need to. It's a bit like you have people who are experts in marketing. You have people who are experts in finance. You have people experts in your IT. It's the same thing for culture. You need some experts and you need to focus on it. That's a great message, Richard Roberts of Enrich HR. We'll put your contact details on our show so people can reach out to you as well as your LinkedIn profile. Thank you so much for your insights and your conviction today that culture is doable and you can get it right if you're intentional. We appreciate your time and your passion. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring.